Hello and welcome to Immigrant Journeys. My name is Hamza Janaid, and this is a show which shares the beautiful tales of people from around the world. I want you to look around you for a moment. You might be on the underground, you might be walking through a busy high street, but look at the faces emerging and moving past you. Faces that are just sat still for a moment, contemplating, listening to music, listening to a podcast. Or maybe they're just reading a newspaper. But consider those faces and think about where they've been and where they've come from. Think past those people. Where did the people before them come from? And I think the chances are that you can find a story within everyone that is more grand than you could ever imagine. And I think it's a real shame that we don't get to speak to those people every day, simply because we're busy and simply because we don't always care. But this is a podcast and more of an exploration for myself to understand the stories behind the people in my life. And this episode starts with me. So the story begins um, with me as a, as a child and why I've got to this stage where I feel like I need to warrant talking about these things. And I'm sure that this podcast will form into being something around, you know, my friends and their, fam- and their families and their stories. And of course, I would love to interview my, my grandparents, my parents, um, and just people in my life who I'm, you know, still kind of curious about, and perhaps we don't talk about these things, maybe because they're, they're painful or it's difficult to talk about, or, or, or frankly, you just don't know all of the details. But I just want to preface all of this by saying that, you know, mine, my story about moving away from where I grew up is not necessarily one that strives from desperation, um, and I know that I, I come with a lot of privilege in the sense that I am university educated, whatever that means, and I speak English, and I grew up in London, which means that I have and have had opportunity beyond belief in a lot of cases. So just wanted to get that out of the way. I have been given a lot in my life in the way of opportunity. Um, And I've also put myself out there to, in scenarios where I know that it will help me and benefit me to change my character. Um, But the reason I say it starts off with me being a child is because I've always been a bit of a daydreamer. And daydreaming is a strange thing to try to describe to someone, especially when it feels very specific to me. It feels like something that only I really get into, but... I've always had this ability to, when someone, for instance, would describe a scientific theory growing up, or they would describe a part of history, I would think, well, why did they come up with that and not that? And I would always try to come back to the very core and the origins of whatever it is. And I've always been obsessed with the the word etymology and I remember when I was at university, my uh, one of our professors said, you, use, you used one too many big words. And I said, what do you mean? This is university. Are we not supposed to use big words? And she said, you use this word. What does it mean? And I said, oh, it's etymology. And etymology essentially is like the root of where the word comes from. So, for instance, if you were to look at the root of the word advertising, there's like a mix between... I, 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 I don't know it properly off the top of my head, but it's a mix between, um, it's like advertaria, I think, which is maybe Latin, um, and it comes, it, it essentially means to turn towards, advertising, turn towards it, look at it, blah, blah, blah. It all kind of makes sense when you think of it that way. But I've always been a bit of a daydreamer, and I've always sort of had my head in the clouds because I've always wondered what life is like somewhere else. And that's often amazing. And it's often a little bit scary because you're never really content. 
you know, in, in your current situation. You're never really sat there thinking, yeah, I'm truly content. And it's something I'm trying to curb. And I think maybe through talking about it, maybe I will get over it or understand it a little bit more. But to start, to start the story about being a child, I always understood that I love stories. And I think I'm spoiled in a way because I remember growing up and my, my mum and dad, um, you know, for many, many years, they would often read with me or read to me before I would sleep. And I would love, I would love when they would just sit with me and, and tell me a story before I would sleep. I remember once, my mum, we went, we used to go to the, actually we used to go to the library a lot, like the local library quite a bit. And I remember going with my, with my two brothers as well. And there was like a, in the middle of this um, town library, uh, there was a, yeah, there was the adult section, which was on the left. And when I say adult, I just mean real books for real humans. And then there was the kids section, <coughs> excuse me, which was, um, it was a bit more colorful and there were seats that were our size. And there were, there were the, there was this yellow and red train in the middle of the library. And I remember my younger brother would always go and sit in there and my mum would go and sit near him or next to him and she would try and give him books to read. And he was kind of disinterested and sometimes he would sit and read, but most of the time she would just try and sit and read with him. Um, but I used to love it. I used to love being in there and it was quiet and the people in there just seemed nice because you're not really allowed to misbehave when you're in there. And the, the only rule is, is to be quiet, right? So you can run around a bit and you can get the books that you want you have to be quiet which I really it's such an interesting thing that memories like that come to you but stories have always been something that I've been drawn to and um, you know my mum is still a primary school teacher she's been a primary school teacher almost for 33 years now and she is she is one of the best women in my life simply because she's so you know, honest in her approach to life. She knows what makes her happy. She she does everything that is her duty. She fulfills all of her responsibilities. And she asks very little from, from people. Very, very little. And I'm learning more and more as I've moved away from her um, how amazing this woman is and how much she's given me in the way of mannerisms and the way I interact with people, the versatility that she has when she would speak to people. You know, the small things, small behavioral changes that she would make. And we, we used to make fun of her growing up because we're children and we're disgusting and we're horrible human beings <laughs> as you grow up. But I remember she would do this thing where when she would speak to someone and, and my brothers will vouch for me. Well, you know, she would go and speak to someone who was um, from a different city or different culture and they might have an accent so for instance they might speak French or they might speak German or whatever but she when she would speak to them she would mirror their accent so that they would feel more comfortable and I recognize so much of that in me now as a result of like moving around and traveling is I do that sometimes as well and I I need to I need I, like it's kind of funny it's like the um the Steve McLaren um interview with the some of the Dutch league when he moved I think he was managing um, Ajax at the time and he did a Dutch accent for an interview and he's English <laughs> but, but it's one of those things but I kind of get where he's coming from because he's trying to be more personable in those situations anyway my mum and Steve McLaren that's the link um, but yeah my mum very good with people makes everyone feel comfortable, always wants to give to people. Family is very, very important to her. It's the only thing that is important to her, to be honest. Um, and so I learned that more and more is, you know, whilst I do strive and I, I have a restlessness about me, um, specifically around trying to become a person who's lived in many different places, um, I do recognize more and more that when you come across hardships that my family specifically is what I need you know that's 
I come from a big family, so I'm one of 19 grandchildren, um, which is actually kind of small for a Pakistani family. Um, but I'm, I'm the third eldest, so I definitely feel a sense of everything that I do hopefully influences them in a better way. But I'm not perfect. Look, I'm, there, was a, there, was, there was about six weeks where I had a moustache that was curly. And um, let me tell you, I influenced some people in the wrong way during that time. I did love it, though. I'm probably going to bring it back. Anyway, so the thing I wanted to get across is, you know, my mum really has instilled this and my dad, to be fair, has re- have they have both have really cultivated this um, this desire to to be captured by stories, and it's really weird. But maybe it's the most human that I've ever seen them is when they tell me stories. My dad isn't the best storyteller, especially growing up. I would tell him off if he would tell the story wrong, because he knew the stories he just wanted to put like a com- comedic twist on it and he would say things he would say the wrong words or he would say uh s- them in the wrong sequence and he would know that I would correct him but I think it was also because he was just checking whether I was asleep or not funny funny the things that you remember when you think about these things um so yeah always been a bit of a daydreamer always thinking about what it would feel like to live somewhere else and I remember once my mum read, um, she she took two books out of the library for me. She took, uh, it was both Roald Dahl, so I have a big connection with Roald Dahl growing up. But there was two. There was um, George's Marvelous Medicine and there was the uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And I remember my mum read George, George's, Marvel- George's Marvelous Medicine in like two hours or whatever, whatever it was. It was really quick. And to my six-year-old brain, I was like, holy shit. My mum can finish books in a matter of minutes. This is insane. Now I realise, you know, she's just an adult who can read. <laughs> um, so why am I making this? I, I love stories. I love my family. But I feel like we do shy away from telling those really important stories. Um, and to give you some context, I am of Pakistani origin, and I grew up in London. And there's plenty of us in London. Uh, There's even more of us in Birmingham. And Bradford is Pakistan. (laughs) Um, But most of my family live in in London. Um, And I now live in the Netherlands. I moved about seven months ago, and I've really had um, about a year's worth of um, interesting conversations, but also experiences which have led me to kind of this point and thinking okay I really want to learn more about my friends and their journeys because they're so unique and they're so different and I think especially when you grow up somewhere that isn't necessarily your native home that you you shy away from telling people where you're really from and those stories because let's be honest kids are fucking mean and if you don't sound or look like the norm whatever that might be you, you don't want to tell them certain things. Like, even though, you know, London is a very diverse and multicultural city and you do make friends from all over the world as a result of that. But growing up, you still don't want to be ostracized and you still don't want to be made to feel like you're different. And I remember making a conscious decision not to speak Urdu when I was a child, up like from the age of like 12 to, well, now, I guess. And I can speak it, but it's, it's just interesting because you realize that, that kids, if they grab onto a word or grab onto an accent or grab onto something that just sounds a little bit strange, they will rip the shit out of you. And uh, as a coping mechanism, you just decide, okay, well, I'll refine one side of my character and I'll completely neglect another side of my culture, which is, which is shocking. Um, but, you know, slowly I am rebuilding that. And I've always had a, I've always had a fascination with um, you know, Hindi movies, Urdu movies, etc. So I still have an awareness of that. I can still understand Urdu perfectly, you know. And I, I, went, I went to India last year for the first time um, uh, for my friend's wedding and I was there for two weeks and I spoke as much Urdu slash Hindi because they're spoken very, very similar as possible. And I came back and I spoke to my cousin and she said, oh my God, your Urdu is so good now. And 
simply because I would just put myself in an environment where I had to speak it. I mean, let's be honest, everyone in, in India also speaks English. But it was just a fantastic thing where I could reconnect with that part of me. I mean, most of the people could tell that I was a tourist, but the fact that I could speak the language just meant they, they, would, they would treat me a little bit nicer. All right? Those are the privileges you get. Um, which is fair enough, because you just understand someone differently, right? And I think language is a really interesting thing. So, you know, there's, there's, there's an idea of storytelling. There's an idea of personal connection. And language really does kind of bridge those two. And actually, what's fascinating is that since I've been in the Netherlands, I haven't really been able to... I, maybe, actually, that's a lie. I think I've only met one other person who speaks uh, Urdu or Hindi. I met one person who's from India. And I started speaking to her a little bit and... You know, she turns out she's from Mumbai, which is also where three quarters of my grandparents were born. Um, so we connected about that, connected over that for a little bit. But everywhere else that I've been to, I have met Pakistanis, I've met Indians, and there is just this openness of, you know, welcome, can we help you in any way? And it always stems from, hey, what do you want to eat? And I love that. I love that. Um, and as I said, you know, I've kinda, I kind of shut off that part of my life for a really long time because I didn't want to be seen as different and then you recognize okay you can be a, you're, you're a Londoner but let's also connect with the fact that you're also Pakistani right and you're also Indian which some people listening to this are going to be like holy shit he just said it he just said it Pakistanis are Indians Indians are Pakistanis it's because we are and I know people get pissed off when I say stuff like that but we're the same people And that's where I'm going to leave it because post-partition, there was a line drawn in the sand and we decided that one place was called one place and one place was called the other place. And in truth, we look the same. We have very similar genetic makeup. We maybe, uh, well, we do definitely um, believe in different religions, but ultimately we're the same people and we were the same people for centuries. We just decided that, okay, maybe after 1947, we might tell each other to fuck each other <clears throat> and fuck each other in the sense of like go fuck off um and so that's led to the the rivalry that exists today which i think is kind of silly but um i have to understand that i also grew up in the west so i don't know everything but if i meet someone who's indian or pakistani i'm going to treat them exactly the same because they are people like me um So where my family are from is uh, in south of Karachi as well, south of Pakistan, which is uh, in a place called Karachi, which is a port city. It's got a beach. And there was a BP oil spill there when I was a kid. And we used to go every summer and sometimes every December, so twice a year. And remember one year there was a BP oil spill and they just left it. The tanker fell over and spilt, like, everything into what's now known as Seaview. And it was always this recurring joke. is like, you, you can go to the beach, but don't go in the water. And it's like, well, what's the point? Um, and there was an oil spill there. And I think it was, like, it was, like, one of the most dangerous things because Pakistan is hot. So you've literally got this heating pot of oil in front of you. And there's water, so you've contaminated the water, so the fish are always going to be a little bit fucked up. And then everyone loves fish there. So you're eating fish that has contaminated oil in it. No one wants to clean it. And also, look, I think it was BP. I just want to say it was BP, okay? Sorry, BP, this is a bad PR for you. But that's that's what it was. And that's where I'm from. Um, And I kind of have two sides to my family. Um, my father's side of the family comes from a place um, uh, I actually don't want to say where they're from but um, they lived in a old uh, colonial house which was kind of divided between families and my dad grew up with um, four siblings and when he was 18 he decided that he wanted to experience his life and kind of get on with it because he didn't really have a cupboard he didn't really have a bed or so he, so he tells me, because he's a bit of a funny man. Um, and so for 10 years, he was in the, in the Merchant Navy, and he's seen everywhere. 
you know, literally everywhere that I've been to, he's been like, yeah, I was there. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been there and there. <clears throat> he's seen it all, which I find really interesting because whenever I say, oh, I'm going here, they're always like, Britta, why are you going? So which is, this is, which is kind of the, the irony about this whole journey for me is like recognizing how much the people in my life don't want me to move away. And it's a mix between them not wanting me to have hardships, but also, and also just them missing me. I'm their, I'm their, I'm their, I'm their son or grandson or whatever. I get it. But surely life should be about experiencing and moving around and changing things, right? So that's my dad's side. And then my mum's side is um, from a slightly different part of Karachi, which is, um, can only be described as affluent. Um, and it's, it's a, a strict kind of um, one generation deep thing right so my grandfather was very successful and he was given the opportunity in the late 70s to move to London for work and so he grabbed it with both hands I think he was in his I think he was about my age actually he was about he was in his mid to late 20s and he he thrived beyond belief and I you know I, I, I'm very lucky he's he's exactly 50 years older than me and I still have a good relationship with him and when I speak to him about the things that I'm going through now, in, you know, since moving to the Netherlands, you know, he says to me, this, you're describing what I had when I moved to London. The excitement, the wonder. He, he had a family, you know, it was different for him. Or he, was, or he had a young family at the time. Um, and my mum was the eldest of five. And he was just saying, yeah, these are the things that we used to get as well as when, you, when we moved across to 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 London and I just I can't even imagine like you know the the amount of things that I've seen before I came to Amsterdam you know I had visited this place a few times before even deciding to live here but the fact of the matter is maybe he maybe he had seen London in a picture somewhere and then he was given the opportunity but this is the thing I don't know the story behind it I just know he moved to London and the rest is kind of history you know all of his children also made um, roots in London and that journey started as a result of him being given an opportunity and he grabbed it with both hands but the amount of unknown that was there back then is just amazing to me and the fact of the matter is is I completely take it for granted that I have all this technology at my disposal I speak the language which is universal and I just wonder what he was going through as a young man trying to build a new life for himself. And so those are the kind of two sides. And I know I focused kind of more on the men than the women, but I think the women will be able to tell their stories much better. So I'll save that for another time. That's not to say that men aren't expressive, but hey, come on. <laughs> I know Pakistani men and I know Pakistani men of a certain generation they get bored after 10 minutes and they're going to want to take a nap so give me some credit <clears throat> excuse me um, so there's language there's opportunity there's adventure there's storytelling and there's travelling and I think what's been really interesting f since I've moved um from where I grew up is, again, I didn't move out of desperation. I moved out of always wondering what it would be like to have grown up somewhere else, perhaps in a different family, perhaps in a different culture, perhaps with a different language. And I've always just thought, well, some people get to do it, and why don't I get to do it? And it, you know, it started when... I think I was about 19 or 20 and I went to, I visited Barcelona by myself. It was the first um, trip that I kind of had a few, a couple of days before um, my friend was arriving. I was there by myself and I thought, wow, like flying by yourself, checking into this Airbnb by yourself. And this is when Airbnb wasn't that big. So I was like staying in like one of the nicest apartments ever 
for very cheap because people were just testing out what this platform was. And it was, you know, like, who am I? <laughs> like, okay, you strip everything back and you, you, you walk into a new environment. Who the fuck are you? And that's the one thing I've recognized about moving countries is you can't hide who you are. You can't. You can't put on a front. Some people might be better at it than others, but I think for the most part, we have to give credit to other people. They can pretty much understand who you are and they can tell whether you're being fake or not. Um, so for me especially, I've recognized that as I've traveled around a bit, is you can't, you really can't neglect the way you grew up, the things people told you, and who you are. I realize now that I'm more predisposed to, um, I love people. Like I really love introducing myself to new people. And it's just something, I can't help it. And this, these are the things you can't change. And the th these are also the things that you can't fake, you know? So I recognize more and more is, you know, how much of our personalities really change as we move from place to place? Of course, naturally they will have to, and I understand that they will have to. But for me, I always grew up in a setting where I thought that, well, this is the way things are. You grow up to a specific family. You follow a certain religion. You follow a certain path. And that's what you do. So, you know, to give you an example, when I was growing up, um, I was very creative, always very creative. You know, I would, I, would, I would sing and I would dance and I would be part of all the performances when I was at primary school. And everyone could clearly tell that I liked these things. I really enjoyed those things. And there was this dichotomy between, okay, he really likes these things, but also a Muslim. So you're not supposed to do these things. Which is kind of fucked up, if you think about it. <laughs> Don't let them do the things that they enjoy. Um, but I had the nickname, and, uh, you know, at, at home, Elton. That was my nickname. My dad named me that. There was two. There was White Chocolate and there was Elton. Elton came from the fact that I would just always be singing and white chocolate came from the fact that I loved Milky Bar I don't know if you guys have Milky Bar but most of my friends who are listening to this or people who know me will know what Milky Bar is it's basically this white chocolate with this like cowboy with blonde hair on it so he used to call me white chocolate and also in Pakistani families um, if you have light skin you're seen to be better because we're super colorist um, which is a huge shame, but I had, I had quite fair skin growing up. So I was seen as like the angel child. Um, and now that I have a tan, everyone's like, Oh my God, beta. <gasps> which means, um, your color, your, your, your hue, your hue has changed young boy, <laughs> which is like, yeah, you know, sometimes having a tan is okay. Um, but they don't, they don't see that as a good, as a, as a good thing sometimes, especially the, um, the previous generation um, because they grew up uh, post-colonial uh, Pakistan because that's what you were made to feel like you know if you had dark skin you worked outside if you had light skin you worked inside and that was a signifier of wealth in both spheres I hope it's changed I just don't um, I don't uh, yeah I don't I'm not so encouraged by the things that I've seen or heard so that's another thing about immigrant stories there is class within the class and there are things you can change and there are things you can't change so tradition is also a big thing when it comes to immigrant stories so i the the the, the core of what i'm trying to get at is you have personal journeys you have people before you who have also traveled far and wide. You have language which doesn't change and you have travel. And I think travel is a new thing, right? Travel is definitely a new thing that exists for only our generation because we have money and we have access. And well, soon we won't have the European Union, so I don't know how long I'll be able to stay here, but we're able to travel pretty much risk-free. You can just like get a visa or not. You don't even need a visa in most places and you just, you just walk around. 
and flights are cheap and you can do your thing and you know we grow up in 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 environments especially if you are someone who grew up in in the west or grew up in a big city uh, that comes from maybe the subcontinent we have fantastic lives we're we're able we have access to so much more than our parents did we have the internet we can have saturdays off <laughs> this is another thing i feel really guilty for i get to have saturdays off and my my dad worked for six days a week for the last 30 years. And still to this day, I feel guilty that I, I get Saturdays off. Isn't that really fucked up? Yeah, maybe I'll touch on that a little bit later on. But guilt is also part of immigrant stories, I think. Hmm. Maybe I feel guilty. Maybe that's part of what this is. But I want to I want to talk about why, again, why this is important to me. Because, again, I didn't move out of desperation. I moved out of wanting something more than that was just monetary, right? So when I before I left uh, London, I worked for an advertising agency, um, you know, creative agency. And you know, this kind of stems back to childhood again, which is I w I was always doing creative things, writing. Uh, drawing, singing, dancing, whatever it was. And I was never pushed into those things as I got older and did my GCSEs or, you know, what Americans might consider high school. I was never pushed into those things. But I studied, I studied uh, English, history, media and film until my A-levels. So your A-levels are essentially the subjects that you take before you go to university. And that kind of determines the type of subject you'll be able to study. But the whole time, of course, there was the there was the rhetoric of immigrant mentality, right? You do something that's going to earn you a lot of money. You do something respectable and you do something that's ultimately going to lead to you being able to um, have the possibility of marrying well. And marrying well means to another respectable person of that same profession. And so that stems from a lot of things. It's, it's desperation, it's security, it's don't have, don't, don't do things that go out of the norm right and do things that are good which is which is a lovely thing like what an amazing role model to have if you if you grew up in a family where you have you know you have doctors and and lawyers and engineers and accountants why don't you aspire to do those things because they are core to the society that we live in right you need doctors you need accountants you need engineers and you build a society off the back of those people most of the time, right? Innovation usually comes from those people. Maybe it's changed in our generation where it's more like software engineers and innovators and people who are designers. But ultimately, it's the people behind that, the accountants, the engineers that are, are the core kind of backbone to all of these functions. So, yeah, I always grew up doing creative things and I still draw to this day. I probably sing less, more so to myself. Um, but I was never pushed. You know, the core was still, hey, you're going to become a doctor, right? Or you're going to, you, you will become an accountant, right? And so when I went to study university, I, I uh, applied to study English and I got in to, I think, all four of the programs that I wanted. And then I had a kind of last minute wobble after countless conversations with aunties and uncles and whoever who's like, what are you going to do with an English degree? And I just, I didn't know anyone who had... I didn't know anyone who went to university. I mean, that's the truth. My world was very small. I grew up in North London and what, what, the world was small to me. And I, my, my family life was everything. And I had a couple of friends uh, who were close. But I, again, their parents didn't necessarily have gone to university. And, and I didn't really feel comfortable talking to them about it. So I ended up um, not really backing myself that I could do something creative. But I ended up working in creative industries and cre creative industries, creative agencies um, in more of a business function. So I actually studied business. <laughs> I did a business degree after studying. After knowing I was creative, I ended up doing a fucking business degree. And let me tell you, I hated it for the first two years. And then I did a placement year. And. I started working during that placement year and I fucking loved it. I loved working. And I realized that university was a huge waste of time for me. I should have just worked, right? And so um, I fucking grafted during that year. I used to travel roughly an hour and a half each way 
to get to this place. And for the first six months that I worked there, um, it was during my second year of university, and they paid me my lunch and um, my travel, which I think was roughly about. And I and the thing is, is, I think I went into a loss that year because, well, for the first six months because I was scared to tell them how expensive the travel was. How stupid am I? That company actually went from twelve people to like three hundred people in the space of like a couple of years, which is mental. But I was there, I remember, I was like basically sat like meters from the the now CEO. And they were like, I just remember thinking, oh yeah, I can't really ask them for, <laughs> I can't really ask them for like 12 pound 50 for travel every day because that's a lot of money for a small company. I just had no awareness of how much things used to cost because I, I, was, I was dumb. I was a dumb university student, I just thought, that if you could eat for three pounds per meal, that that was great. And telling them that £12.50 was the travel that I needed just felt obscene. So I think I used to like round everything down to the nearest like £10. So it was just like clean figures. So I used to, I think I used to buy my lunch for, oh, it was in a posh area as well. So I used to like buy my lunch for like £6 and I used to think, fuck, this is a lot of money. And then I used to keep the receipt. But did I even used to keep the receipt? I don't even know. I don't know how it was back then. Anyway, it was like I used to basically bill them like 15 pounds a day and I used to work there a couple of days a week. Man, they really, <laughs> they really did a number on me. I did a number on myself because I didn't have self-confidence, so I didn't really know what that meant. Um, so yeah, I worked there for six months for basically nothing. And then they offered me a year contract, which I was like, oh damn, I'm going to be billionaire. Um, and this is what this is what the placement year does. So in your third year, you you essentially work. And my salary that year was a grand total of eighteen thousand pounds. And let me tell you, it was like eleven hundred pounds after tax, and I was fucking bawling. I was so happy. This is the first time I have had a proper paycheck in my life. I'd just been doing like odd jobs the whole time and like earning like 50 pounds here 20 pounds here 30 pounds here 1100 pounds in your account when you're how old was i 20 21 i was fucking flying i was like this is the great i am the greatest human being to ever have lived 1100 bundas i was so happy so yeah man I, I lived at home that entire year as well because I was like, right, now I'm rich. I've got to save this. <laughs> so funny how things change. But yeah, it was my first like proper job. And I remember I loved working. I loved having responsibility. And um, when I went back to university, I within three months, I applied for a, for a graduate scheme for a creative agency. And there, it was something ridiculous. Like they had 800 applicants and then they only gave spot to like 10 people. And I was one of them. Can you believe it? This guy who literally thought that £12.50 a day for travel was too much, suddenly is getting given one of the best grad schemes in, like, the world. <laughs> I exaggerate. I did feel like I was an absolute don when I got that. And I had a lot of, um, I, was, I was, had a huge ego for, for a while because I felt so, I just felt accepted. I felt like, yeah, I made it in, right? It was actually the, one of the first times I met um, when I was on that grad scheme. It was the first time I met people who, had, who went to Oxford or Cambridge. Um, I only had one person who actually went to Oxford from my school. Um, but I, like, I, wasn't, I was friends with him, but I wasn't like friends friends with him. So I knew of him and I knew he was fantastic. So I thought, okay, yeah, well, that's the caliber of people that go to those kinds of universities. But there's, another, there's a side story to this, which is I, I visited Oxford after I graduated um, just because I was like, oh, it's an iconic city, iconic university, let's go and visit. And I went with my best friend. And I remember thinking, if someone had brought me here when I was 14, maybe I would have studied, right? Maybe that would have given me the motivation to actually have moved towards this amazing institution. Look, I'm, I've done okay. <laughs> I've done okay, I'm, I'm all right. But there is a part of me which is like, wouldn't it have been fantastic to have like, you know, walked where some of the world's most famous politicians would have walked, some of the most famous 
poets and writers and authors. You know, the tree where Oscar Wilde wrote a lot of his stories is, um, is there. It's at it's Magdalen College, I think. It's amazing. So cool. Also, Magdalen. I learned it was called Magdalen after someone made fun of me. Again, language, very important. Because um, it's spelt Magdalen. Yeah, M-A-G, Magdalen. I think it's M-A-G-D-E-L-I-N, something like that. Magdalen. I know we school at Magdalen College for like six months, and then one of my friends who is better than me, but also thinks he's better than me in every single way. He's not. Uh, he was like, it's actually Magdalen. I was like, oh, fuck. And so, th- so this, this is where my insecurity around language comes from. The ability for someone to take the piss is far too high, and the shame that I would feel is far too great. Anyway, Oxford, Cambridge. First time I came across people who were like, it was part of their DNA. Their parents had gone there, grandparents had gone there, everyone. That was their, that was their story. That was a story of their family, right? It was part of their uh, existence. It was like, yeah, there's this lineage of people who go to Oxford and Cambridge and you, you land in these amazing work settings and you get to work around people. And I thought it was a joke. Like I, thought, I genuinely thought it was like a caricature that these people had gone to these institutions. And then I found out that my boss, the first boss, he went to Eton. <laughs> and then you realise, you're like, oh, shit. So all these things that people have told you about working world is actually true, right? And again, then you police yourself. Don't show too much of your culture in this way. Pronounce things in this way. You know, don't tell them too much about X, Y, Z, because you, feel, you don't feel part of that story, Right? Because you know there's a story behind yours that is not like theirs. And you just can't, you, you can't relate to them, they can't relate to you. And sometimes you're just like, well, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to, I'm, I'm working at the end of the day and I don't want to rock the boat. Because you're fresh from the boat, son. Joking, of course. Um, so yeah, but I always, I would always, uh, whenever I would get some time off, I would try and like go by myself to like a new city or whatever. And one of the places I first visited was, um, incidentally, with a lot of um, work colleagues with my first kind of graduate job. And um, yeah, we, we came to Amsterdam and I completely fell in love with it then and I'm still in love with it now. It's so pretty. And I just remember thinking I would love to live here one day. And... Uh, yeah, I did it. <laughs> I, um, you know, after a couple of, I think it was like three or four years working in, uh, three or four years, five years, something like that, working in London, I was on a, f- when I was on my flight back from India to London, or I was either flying from Mumbai to Delhi and then flying back to London. Uh, there's actually a picture of this, and I don't think my friend realizes that I was crying while he was taking the picture. And it's not something that I tell too many people about. Um, but I was sat on a window seat because bougie as fuck. And uh, I was looking out the window, and I was listening to this song that, you know, when it just catches you off guard and you're completely broken as soon as that song takes off? Um, yeah, I had tears in my eyes and I just was thinking about my life and how everything was quantifiable by money. Everything was done by the quantity. Every time you went abroad to do something, people would ask, why are you going for so long? Beta, why do you have to go for so long? Beta, why do you have to go out of the house for so long? Everything is so quantifiable. And I was working at another notable creative agency and I was earning plenty of money to save, to build a future, but I was miserable. I wanted to be somewhere else. I wanted to see the world. I didn't want my 20s to run away from themselves um, and me just to be sat there grafting the whole time thinking, what if? And I said to myself, hey, you know what? If it doesn't work out, it's okay, and you can come back to this. And this being London, and this job, and etc., etc. I don't know if they would be welcoming me back, but 
you know, that was my mentality. I thought, look, you understand tradition, you understand language, you understand that it takes some courage to do these things and move abroad. So why are you not doing it? Is it because, you know, you feel like you're only supposed to do it when you're completely desperate? But maybe I was desperate, right? It wasn't about the quantity at the time. And I said, to this, I said this to people when I moved here, I'm willing to work at Albert Hein. Albert Hein is the Sainsbury's here. But I don't want to feel trapped by this immediate environment of like working 12 hours a day, sometimes more, feeling like shit, not really being motivated by this environment, which actually doesn't make me happy. And actually, everything, everything that everyone else sees around you, especially is like, oh, he's got a good job, it's a nice... Uh, nice company, got a good salary, etc. Why does it always have to be the quantity of those things? Why can't it just be based on the fact that I just want to live well within my means and I don't want to feel trapped by the success? Well, the, the traps that success brings. And I was, I was listening to... Um, <clears throat> I can't remember his name. I'm really bad with names. Anyway, someone basically said that if the prize for becoming wealthy is to embrace all of the expensive things in life then I don't want that <laughs> right so like let's say for instance I start earning a hundred thousand pounds a year and then as a as a remit to show people that I earn a hundred thousand pounds a year I need to drive this car wear these clothes live in this kind of area you've lost you're doing it for someone else and I understand sometimes it's desperation that leads people to feel like they need to um, live up to that standard. But why can't we have a story which is about adventure and discovery and understanding that we are good at different things and we don't have to sit within this confine of, you know, this is your duty because we don't have to anymore. That's the truth. And look, I know, I, as I said before, I preface this by saying I come, I come with a sense of privilege because um, I speak in a universal language and, I'm, and I have the ability to travel. Those two things in themselves will offer me infinite amounts of, of pleasure and, and opportunity. But the point I'm trying to make is there is also this underlying thing around, especially my family and immigrant journeys that they've had which is there's this reluctance to change things about themselves or about their belief system because they think well things are good don't rock it don't rock the boat man and that's the irony for me is it's like you made this grand journey you made these sacrifices so that I could live a better life so let me live a better life and I, I find it so disheartening when I see a lot of people who grow up in these environments who don't have self-belief in themselves because it's like do you realize how much the people before you gave up and 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 let go of to have the things that you have like don't limit yourself to this life imagine if that my dad started off in, in an environment which meant that he couldn't he couldn't he when he was growing up do you think he he thought yeah one day i'm going to grow up and i'm going to live in london and i'm going to have uh, I'm going to have um, a wife and, and, and this like completely different life to the one that I grew up around, which is like basically surrounded by family all the time who are lovely, I'm sure, but you don't have a room, you don't have space, you don't have opportunity, you don't have the ability to travel. And, and then for me to just neglect that and say, yeah, this is my life and I'm just going to live in London for the rest of it. I feel like that's, that's a disservice to that story. If I'm not able to push that journey forward and say, hey, you know what? What I really wanted to do is I wanted to see the world because all this material shit that we're chasing is so temporary and it doesn't make you happy and you'll give you anxiety every time you lose it or you break it or whatever. The only thing, the only thing you have are the stories that people tell you and the stories that you build for yourself. And I've recognized this now because I can't wait to tell the story of how I came here with nothing and within six weeks I built a new life for myself. And now I'm seven months in and I'm so overwhelmed by everything that's happened. And it was strictly, I, I only knew, I knew no one when I moved here. But I thought, let's see, let's see what's going to happen. 
And this is the thing I'm trying to get to the crux of is why don't we talk about these things more often? Why don't we sit with our grandparents and with our parents and say, hey, can you tell me what it felt like to do this and this? Because I need that bravery to keep going forwards. I need to know what it feels like to daydream and then execute on those amazing things that have happened. So, with that, and to conclude, I will be interviewing people in my life and I want them to tell their story and the reasons behind it and what it made them feel and why it's important to talk about these things because we have this rich heritage and rich richness behind us that we just never even talk about because we're just striving for, all right, get a, get a nicer house, get a mortgage. And don't get me wrong, these things are so important. It's so important to be settled. But we're literally just chasing that material thing and we're not doing the things that we're best predisposed to do, which might be storytelling, which might be singing, which might be drawing. And it might be none of those. You might be, be better off being a doctor or an engineer or a whatever. But the point I'm trying to make around that is we shouldn't neglect the fact that we can do the things that we want to do. And the fact that we're different is a superpower, right? You have a story behind you that you can allow, guide you. So be brave. Don't stop. Work at it. Start planning. Hey, take a fucking risk. <laughs> anyway, um, that's it for me, I think. I hope that the next episode will be with someone who also has a, a grand story to tell around their immigrant story. Um, because mine is a very different one to the one that perhaps we're used to, which is I just wanted to see what I could get away with within the time frame. So yeah, have a good one. See you next time, I guess.